Did you know Winnie the Pooh is banned or oh, was banned on. in Idaho for a little while? I don't think it still is. But like that just like just thinking about that. <sighs> Hello, everyone. I'm Kirsten. I'm Maria. (laughs) And this is Okay, Let's Talk About It, the show where two-thirds, stop laughing, two-thirty-somethings who have been friends for more than two decades discuss what's on our minds and do our absolute best to stay on topic, but fail every time. Today, we are talking about book burning. Mm, I mean, um, banning, banning. We're talking about book banning. This is going to be, I think, a fun topic for me because I was an English major. And um, I tend to read the books that often are banned. Um, And so we will talk a little bit about kind of contextually what's happening nationwide uh, because it's been a hot topic for the last few months. Really has Um, been. And then, right, I I feel like I've heard about it more now than I've probably heard about it in the last 10 years. So Mm. maybe there's just more interesting books being published. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And we'll also talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in our own neck of the woods with a a neighboring district uh, that's currently battling book banning of, I think it's actually three different books and um, the conversation around um, literature representing LGBTQIA populations. So yeah, book burning. Oh my bad. I keep saying it. Book banning. Book banning. (laughs) Fahrenheit 451 really made an impact on you, apparently. (laughs) It was such a good book. It was. (laughs) I, you know, I, uh, I, I just had a really interesting conversation with a colleague of mine. Um, He used to live in uh, Idaho. Idaho. Sorry, I was going to say Oregon. He used to live in Idaho and they, uh, in this, in this spot in Boise, there's this little bookstore um and every year uh they would have on book burning day or book banning day wow i'm gonna say that all day (laughs) book banning day (laughs) um they had like a little soapbox out in the in front of their store and they would have people select literature that has been banned throughout the country or throughout their state at some point in time and people would get up they would pick a book and read either if it's a short book they would read the book or like an excerpt from it and Uh just read it out loud to the crowd and he told me about that i'm like that sounds oh fracking amazing because that's really cool (laughs) i would definitely participate so um we secretly are gonna hopefully plan our own um book banning um day activity you have to get on him so he doesn't forget that's Um, really cool right (sighs) book banning day i think it's in september it's like right before my son's birthday which is even better (laughs) it'll be it'll go together and your son will start he'll he'll be the one who reads stuff out loud and gets to pick it yes i'm okay with that um okay so just to like give a broad understanding of book banning 
Um, for those who don't know what it is, it's usually conservatives. I'm sorry. It's very conservative people for whatever reason decide <laughs> that a book isn't good enough or it's too dangerous for um, our youth. Murderous. <laughs> so, murderous books. <laughs> it's it's about it's antichrist. It has the it has it it plays too close into what's actually happening within society and and we don't want people to know what's actually happening within our societal mm. structures. Um it's books like that. Um or you know, it's about gay people and again, conservative thinking that's still taboo. Gay people don't have sex. What is that? Gay people don't exist. <laughs> so <sighs> it's, somebody raises raises a flag there's usually sometimes i can't commit to that statement but there's usually some sort of process in which a book is banned Mm. um i remember us being in high school and -hmm. it was our sophomore year it came Mm -hmm. back our junior year but i remember our (laughs) sophomore year the adventures of uh, the yep the 11th graders I think almost almost every single 11th grader reads The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in our district, mm-hmm. or at least they used to. And our sophomore year, a student contested it because mm-hmm. they didn't like the use of the N-word mm-hmm. in the story. I don't think they'd ever read the story. I don't think they've read it still. Um, but that was kind of my first taste um, of, of book banning. Mine and it too. only lasted a year. But I remember all the controversy around it mm-hmm. and thinking like, this book was written <laughs> in what the 1800s late 1800s early 1900s i can't remember now um it was written when there were still slaves mm-hmm. um <laughs> by you know a white guy who was anti-slavery but still had issues um but he was writing from a context of the time in which it took place and so it was really interesting to um kind of hear the dialogue around this book shouldn't be allowed because of the use of the n-word especially with the prevalence of the n-word in our society and within that particular school um but it did in fact the student won out that year and so the juniors did not read the adventures of huckleberry finn um but i i know for a fact that we read it the very next year or at least i started it and then i wrote all my papers on the musical the big river um so i don't think i read that did i yeah, I'm gonna need a re- I'm gonna have to read a synopsis. I might have blocked it out. You know how I am with I mean, reading books. <laughs> I'm not gonna act like the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is one of the best books written because it's. I mean, it's not. It's not my favorite book at all. In fact, like well, I to- like I just said, I wrote my paper on the mm-hmm. musical Big River because it's loosely, <laughs> loosely <laughs> covers that book. Um, and I sang songs in my head to figure out what was going on and that's how I wrote my papers and I did just fine in that class um I okay so that that was also my first exposure to like trying to get something like any sort of student action to get something removed from the curriculum because I feel like that hadn't really occurred to me before that that was a thing that you could (laughs) ask to happen like okay that was, I don't think activism was really encouraged when we were mm. in school or at our specific school, maybe. Um, I mean, not not against curriculum. There were plenty of walkouts. Yes. But it wasn't. It usually had to do with something else. Yes. Never not, about not what usually, was being yeah. offered in classrooms. Yeah. Yes. But I. So now at this point, 
I, I think about that and I understand the reasoning of why the student asked for that. And I remember some of the conversations around it. But at this point, I'm wondering, like, why were we even still reading that book? That is the bigger question. Because why why does that? Because you're talking about how old it is and mm-hmm. who it's written by. And it's like, how does that? have any impact how does that inform the way that I'm living my life now that high schoolers are living their lives now what they're going through now like is that really a an accurate portrayal is that really um the like there's at this point in 2022 I have to believe that there are better examples and more well-rounded texts and more applicable texts like that we could find for our kids to read that don't involve reading the same white guys over and over again and it makes me think of this I think it was a I can't remember if it was a meme or if it was an email that I saw from someone but it was if you don't have any writers of color in your curriculum then you should have to call it like white literature it can't be it can't be american lit it has to be (laughs) white lit because that's what it is Mm -hmm. because there are other classes like we definitely offered at my old school asian american literature latino literature um black and african american literature and those all had to be called out and it's just like okay so if you're only gonna have white authors in any of the texts that you're having your students read, you got to rename the class to fit the mold, right? You have to advertise it correctly. And it just makes it yes. stand out even more that like, <laughs> this needs to be reevaluated because why? Why are we still only reading those? But why are freshmen still reading Romeo and Juliet? They better not still be reading Romeo and Juliet. You know, I have no idea what students are reading anymore in the classroom. And it, it's exactly what you're talking about. It took... I had this really great uh, graduate student teach um, the American Lit class when I was in college. Mm. Um, was it American Lit he, or was it White Lit? <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> that's what I loved about him. He was like he was a great dude, young dude. Um, he's now a professor at at University of Washington. Nice. Um, he was this Asian this Asian guy. Um, I honestly cannot tell you from what part of the Asia. <laughs> his family came from I never asked I won't lie um but he came in and he's like I don't believe that the original syllabus represented American literature very well and Mm. so he intentionally picked stories written by um a black Asian American um indigenous like yes. all, basically everybody but like the stereotypical white male from the early 1900s. Um, he was like, because that's is, not actually what sense. America is. That's not what America, not what America is. is. Yeah. And so he's like, it's going to be good to read these stories from these different lenses. Um, and it was probably one of my favorite classes. I actually recently reached out to him uh, this past year. Um, I found him on the on the FB and um <laughs> i just i wrote i wrote to him because it was like i you know in the moment i didn't really realize um 
how impactful that class was on my life because mm-hmm. the I was I had I minored in African and African diaspora studies so I a lot of my lit classes uh fell into that realm so I, I read a lot of black authors in college but that was a very intentional choice and usually the title of the class had to have some sort of African or African-American title uh-huh. with it um and so you know that's what you would expect the authors to be for that but he took this American lit American studies s class and just turned it into an opportunity for all students to kind of see themselves or hear their voice or recognize certain experiences. And I, and it was just, it was so amazing. And it took me enough years. We won't say how many It took me (laughs) enough years to track him down and just like, just tell him, thank you uh, for making that very intentional choice um, and having that conversation with the class. And, you know, maybe half the class didn't appreciate it because it's still the University of Washington and they're not very good with their diversity. Mm. But I know I really appreciated it. Um, And I I still have all of those books. Like we read like Amy Tan. um, Oh, nice. Which actually in that story had the story of Mulan and that's why it's sticking in my head right now because I'm like, hey, I've seen this movie before. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> oh, I remember we uh, read a version a of that experience. in high school too. Yeah, yeah. I think that was yeah in senior senior lit AP uh-huh. lit right. Yep, oh, that class. That class. That was an interesting class. I think it's great that that's becoming that schools are like that you had that experience back then at a college when we all know it takes lo- longer for things that happen at a college to trickle trickle down <laughs> to K through 12. But I think it's great that when I was still at school at my previous high school, they were reevaluating every text and they radically changed all the readings that students were doing in the high school curriculum and even including mm-hmm. um stories from the tribes from the area that we're in and to the point where they were playing it in the original language and it was pretty cool to see and there is like apparently massive massive pushback which is also just sad um but it's so not surprising yeah unfortunately but it's so nice (laughs) to see that i feel like it's you know, a new generation of educators coming up and the way that things are going right now, it's more acceptable to openly push against the Mm -hmm. way things, the status quo, and try to change it and actually have support, community support behind that instead of just like, yeah, let's just do what we've always done. Um, It's exciting to see, but it also seems like there's an extreme backlash on the other side of that. I think what most educators have to kind of plan for is that. And if you can make a good argument. Um, and I, I and I think that with some of the books that are coming out more on display, like you're getting to see the counter narrative to certain stories. But I think there's still some things that we're still afraid to acknowledge, which is weird because um, <laughs> we know it exists. So uh, going back to what's going on in our own neck of the woods, um, there's these three books that got pulled from the shelves in mm-hmm. um, Kent School District. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been going on for a couple months. 
and my understanding is like similar to our our story a student pulled the book um and felt like it was inappropriate and so she took it to the principal or to whomever and said this book is inappropriate um okay in whatever language because she's young like these are Mm -hmm. middle schoolers um so whatever language she specifically used which then caused kind of a a response to uh books that were really telling stories of lgbtqia um so the books i'll be honest i haven't read any of them but one is called jack of hearts uh, one is called If I Was uh, Your Girl, and then Not All Boys Are All Boys Aren't Blue. Hmm. Okay. Um. And so the arguments around why these books are currently under debate, uh, are a they're saying that they're not age appropriate, that they're using um offensive words like cock or dick or whatever those types of words. <laughs> Um, and that it seems to be sexually explicit. Um, and again, I haven't read the books and I don't know. And these are middle schools, middle schoolers. So I don't know, but I was, I was thinking more of the the context of like, this is a library. It's not a required reading by mm. a school teacher. It's not, it's something that you have to go out and, and search for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and that's part of the narrative that I think uh, the librarian is stating, like, as the librarian of this public institution, um, that's for all students of all walks of life, of all life experiences. Um, this is a place where they can find stories that they can feel connected to characters, where they can feel whatever. And it's not tied to curriculum. It's not tied to mandatory reading. It's not tied to blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that so that's one of the arguments that the the librarian is making and of course there's many people making the arguments around like silencing the voice of lgbtqia and recognizing that like we're totally fine with those words and those actions and those stories being displayed in books and media and Mm -hmm. kids tv shows all the Mm -hmm. time when it's heterosexual but like as soon as you put two girls together or two guys together or put a trans person in the story it becomes a completely different thing for people and so people of course are making that narrative and so i was just curious from your perspective thinking about the the a library as a place of escape for maybe these type of stories that we're required to read because not all of our schools are progressive right they don't Mm -hmm. have all the opportunities um as we're seeing some shifts in in your old district um so what are what are kind of your thoughts on that library versus classroom and then kind of kind of the silencing of lgbtqia stories regardless i mean this is middle school we know people who got pregnant in middle school. Middle schoolers have sex. <laughs> like it happens. <laughs> he, Me yeah. as a parent may not want it, but it happens. <laughs> so like, uh, so what are your thoughts? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I, the initial thought that I had when I read that article and then just now when you're saying the words that were offensive or that the student and parents are finding offensive was, oh, man, these people do not want to see what kids are writing online. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, was like, you very go look at their, their little yeah. Snapchats. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, um, the district that I'm currently in, 
you, you most districts, especially now that we're so digital, use monitoring software. And so oh, like you can uh, Go see, Guardian or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You can see what students are doing. Like sometimes you can see live what they're doing. And my current mm-hmm. district uh, has additional filters that your that our pre- my previous district that your district doesn't have. So they can like pick up words in a a Google Doc or in a Word Doc that a student is writing in. And it can scan the entire document and look for concerning content. And as a counselor, I get forwarded stuff, right? Because then it triggers like an alert and they forward it to the admin who gives it to me to to connect with the student with, at which point I have to go. So, you know, that journal you thought was private that you were just venting on, (laughs) I had to read it. Um, (laughs) Which is never a good feeling. I'm laughing because it's just like so ridiculous and I feel so terrible, but that's like the link. But the whole point is that the language that I see in there (laughs) It's just, and I, you know, this is not even stuff that, stu- these aren't things that kids think that anyone's ever going to even read. This is just like their free flowing thoughts. And if they think that kids don't think those words, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little concerned with how out of touch they might be <laughs> with what's going on right now. But, um, well, their babies are sweet little, little angels. Didn't oh, you know? you know, they're not though. Come on. Everybody's <laughs> kid. I full on just you everybody remembers that feeling when they covered stuff up when they were a kid that's just a part of getting older like it's not it's not possible to have a little angel who's never done anything wrong but anyway that's a different that's a different conversation um (laughs) the maybe you've been to the same trainings I've been to but um I go to you know I've been to a lot of equity and um diversity trainings and when they're related to education I think I've been to sit some of the same ones where it's the same trainer and the question that often is proposed as the initial question as educators is where where like what could you change in a school that would make an immediate like it would make an immediate change for the better in terms of equity and diversity and belonging for kids and everybody is like, oh, I don't know, like lessons, like you put up signs saying that we love you. You do murals, like whatever, like showing them that they welcome in there. all the languages. Yes. Yeah. But it's the library. And the answer mm-hmm. is always it's changing what's available in the library to reflect more of what the actual student population and their experiences are in the mm-hmm. books that you have available there. So when you say the difference between a curriculum book versus what's available in the library, I I mean, both. They need to be reflective of what the students are experiencing. Someone went through that book and decided that it was okay. And I don't know if you've read Dogman, but it's this comic book that's supposed to be geared towards 12th grader and it talks about diarrhea and it talks about ADHD and it makes all these jokes and it's just like how would that probably be allowed in a school and considered you know good fun 
mm-hmm. things that kids will actually go through, because I, I looked at some of the the student testimony from the board meetings for those books, and the students were saying, yes, this book, I read it and it helped me a lot because even though it featured sexual assault, I've been the victim of sexual assault and it helped me process it. Yeah. It's That's... real stuff. It's real experience and, and how yes. we cannot we cannot sh- shield kids from things that we don't want them to know about just because they don't. They don't follow what our ideologies are. Like, there's other stuff out in the world that exists. You can't keep your kids from it forever. There's the internet, people. <laughs> they can Google whatever they want. <laughs> well, I was just like, I was joking with my mom about it, about these books, because I was like thinking about the content. And I was thinking about, um, I was a little bit older, but think about like the TV show Degrassi. Mm. that i mean that started with kind of no, well, that was the, middle the, school wasn't it that was middle school to high school so you you're following basically these about 12 year olds to 14 i think is supposed to be the age range of these these the main core and i'm like thinking about the girl who shows up in the thong hanging out um with the lowrider jeans and getting pregnant and abortions and drugs and violence and school shootings and like all the things i'm like and this is a teeny bopper show this like this show is geared towards tweens young teenagers um and it only got progressively worse with every new cast that they as Mm -hmm. they continued those storylines and that's i mean like and that's just one very small example i i subbed at an elementary school for three months four months at the beginning of the school year and one of my duties was supporting recess and there were these third graders second and third graders who clearly watched um uh what's that show called where they play the kids games but they die what what is that show oh, called? Oh, Squid Games. Squid Games. <gasps> Elementary schoolers had what? I won't even watch that. Right, I don't watch it. And there's like, there, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't have incredible talking points and commentary that adults, when watching, can engage in. There's a lot of things being brought up in that in that series, but you have second, and third graders, probably younger, oh, watching no. the show. They don't get the content. They don't get the context. But they're coming and at recess, they're playing like red light, green light. And if somebody moves, they are shooting them with their fingers and saying, bang, bang, you're dead. Actively violent. (laughs) Yikes. And so I'm like, I think about like just those kind of scenarios that we are constantly I think I feel like adults are constantly trying to like shelter young people as if the world isn't already in their lives um, and there's so many access points. Like I would love to control my son. He's three right now. He doesn't have any friends, right? So what he <laughs> sees, what he does, I have a lot of control in that. And so like, I'm working my, my hardest to make sure that he is growing up to be respectful and loving and understanding and emotionally aware and socially aware. Like that's, those are my dreams. But do I know inevitably he's going to get into school and there's going to be boys talk in the boys locker room. Hopefully he will negate some of the more extreme conversations that happen in those spaces. But girls do it too. Like we talk about certain things. 
we act like we do things that we're not actually doing, but we just assume that's what we're supposed to be doing because that's what we hear. That's what we see on TV or mm-hmm. that's what we, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, I have to be prepared for my son as he gets into his sexuality and figuring out what that means and what that looks like for him and making sure that he's going to do it. So make sure that whatever choices he makes, he's safe about it and that he's making, he's being rational in his decision making. He's not feeling pressured into his decision making mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's what some of these books, they may seem pretty intense and maybe, like, in the moment as you're reading the specific story that this person is telling, it seems um, rough. But I think that with most books, there's a story that you're supposed to be learning from this context, right? Or there's something that you're supposed to be getting out of it. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, if these books are all these kids have because it's not accepted in their homes, or it's not accepted in, in their friend circle, or it, it's not being taught in a comfortable space in their classrooms, then where are they? What are they more likely going to do? Are they going to make the healthy decisions and the good decisions? Mm-hmm. Or are they are they going to do all the dumb shit? Excuse my language, but like we know, for example, abstinence usually leads to unwanted pregnancies all the time and a lot of STIs, (laughs) right? Because you're not teaching young people how to be safe with themselves. Kids are going to be kids. They're curious. I think about Go Guardian and I I had a meeting with a principal. This was like when I first started and we had a meeting set up. I come in, I'm sitting in her office. She's like, I'm so sorry. There's like a group of kids that I have to talk to. And because of, of what came up on their Go Guardian, and it was things like sex noises, that they were yeah. Googling sex noises. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, these are 11 year olds and 12 year olds. Like, they're, yep. they're just curious. It's not gross. It's not like it shouldn't be taboo. It's just it is what it is. But you need to have, like you got to be an adult and have honest conversations. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, well, I think that's that's where it comes in. Right. Especially as a parent, because I know most of the people. Well, maybe. The people who are pushing the book, banning, um, seem like they're, well, supposedly they're parents, but who actually knows who they are? <laughs> but you have a choice <laughs> when you're a parent, right? Like yeah. what you're trying to, because like you said, there, there's some control, some level of control we get to exert over our children when they're at certain ages because they don't have exposure to other people and we get to control what they're watching and what they're reading, um, especially during a pandemic when they're not really leaving the house for other things like that. But all of that. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to having things that are unpleasant or things that you don't like or you don't want your kid exposed to coming up outside of the materials that you're approving for them... I think I listen to the news on the way to driving my my kids to my parents' house in the morning. Um, And I listen to NPR. And my five-year-old, almost six-year-old, will be in the car and I'm listening to the stories come on, right? And it might be a story about sexual assault. It might be a story about Me Too. It could be about people who are being murdered. It could be about the... Russian invasion of Ukraine. It could be um, all these terrible things, right? Because the news in general is not good news that they're reporting. 
happening. <laughs> like a not lot of anymore. time, it's not pretty things that are being reported. They're not like a lot of feel good stories. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking in my head, like this is just a news station. Like if we watched the local news, it would just be on our TV. And do I turn off the news? Do I? Do I turn this like this is a question I ask myself when I'm in the car. I'm just like, do I like he I know he's listening. I know he's a sponge. And like, Mm -hmm. is he listening to this? And what is he taking away from it? And I have a choice in that moment. Right. I have a choice Mm -hmm. of whether I turn it to a different station and he listens to whatever the morning DJs are saying on other stations. Which are usually a lot worse. Which could be a lot like worse in a different way. Right. Or do I like let him listen in on what is going on in the world around him that he is a part of and will be growing up in? And do I try to address those with him as they come up? Like, he's asking me, he knows the word war. He knows some of the words that come up. And he's like, why are they talking about this? And he knows country names because he's really into geography right now. And I I get that. I have that moment. Can you teach me? Sorry, that was a real (laughs) side. But man, I suck at geography. Continue. I I do too. So I'm learning too. We have maps all over the house now where I'm like, okay, that's where that is. Got it. Perfect. Uh, but it's just, it's just, you have that, you have that moment of, I get to make a choice here. Do I say, oh, it's nothing. Oh, let's not talk about that. Um, oh, mm-hmm. oh, let's, let's change the station. Like, let's talk about what you did at school yesterday. Or look, there's a train. Like, you, I have the, the choice or like, I have the choice to address it. And I feel like people are in denial when they think that they can stop their their children from accessing information they don't want them to access. Like you said, it's going to happen. They're going to have friend groups. They're going to be out there in the world, not under your supervision, not in your household, not living by your rules. And do you want to have taught them to be an individual, like independent, critical thinker? who is going to consume what is going around the, on around them and and process it through their own lens that you have worked with them to create, hopefully, and then make decisions based on that? Or do you want them to be completely like adrift? Yeah. I was reading, uh, thinking about what you were just saying about um, – where do you want to be? What kind of parent do you want to be in terms of that level of control? And I was reading, this has nothing to do with book banning, but it had to do with um, the kind of the creation of a white male terrorist, for lack of better mm, words, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. from families and homes that don't, it doesn't ever seem to make a lot of sense. Um because their their parents aren't like that. Um, they're not mm-hmm. necessarily super liberal, but they don't tend to be that conservative or that violent. And kind of how these young people are going online and they have, I mean, you have access. It doesn't matter. Kids have learned how to navigate through like parental controls. That's one of the first things they freaking learn how to do. I swear mm-hmm. to you. Oh, um, yeah. That's I why I knew. <laughs> When I was saying about the 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 observation serv- software on the mm-hmm. district computers, students came and told me like I typed this into a document and nobody knows about it, so I already know my way around it. And I'm like, what? 
See, see, I'm telling Why? you. The the level of understanding that young people. I'm like, all right, like I I've had to make this. I've had this debate because, of course, I'm thinking like YouTube, right? My son right now has mm. complete access to YouTube because I'm like, I can do the kids YouTube. I know I can do it. Um, but is there is there a point to it? And it, it has to do with that level of sheltering. Like, what what do I want my child to have access to, and therefore. What kind of conversations are, am I prepared to have? And um, but yeah, so I was reading this article about these young boys who are seeing things online and they're going to more um, extreme um, mm-hmm. alt kind of pages where they're like, look at these horrible things that are being done to white men and how unfair it is that they're being treated by women, by people of color, by what, like whatever mm-hmm. that page is. And it's a kind of a slow process, but because nobody in the home and nobody in their community are really stopping and having those conversations and navigating, um, what these young people are looking at. I mean, I can easily look at, a uh, the cache and the, and the cookies and the, mm-hmm. the search thing. Like I can do that as a parent and be like, yo, all right, I see that you access this thing let's chat um but because no one's doing that it's like this kind of slow steady transition into this anger and this um and pain right of feeling like they are being blamed for everything and that they need to stand up for what's right and what's what's theirs and it's it's a really interesting article and i'll find it and i'll try i'll try to find it and put it on the blog later i think i've read that is it is it about like the radicalization of white boys? Yeah. I think yeah. I read that because as the parent of what are probably <laughs> going to either look like white boys or be passing for white boys, especially I'm very that concerned. One. Especially that one. Yes. Yeah. I'm very concerned about that because, you know, there are instances where they come from a mixed background and you're like mm-hmm. what has gone wrong with you that you do not like you have processed this in this way <laughs> right no How do I stop really, that like, let's find it because I, I really think it's a really good article and like it, it, it is a little bit more extreme in terms of content and, and what's happening to the but like that's that's inevitably what's happening all the time uh right before we started talking like right when we got on the phone I was telling you that we were doing we started the conversation with um some of uh my staff around Mm -hmm. internalized oppression right and internalized oppression can be um both inferior and superior right it's it's how Mm -hmm. we've taken in our experiences the things that we see on tv the way things are talked about and how we connect with those things that ultimately kind of impact how we see ourselves in a certain space and um you know i'm talking to adults who are in their 30s 40s and above and i've been having these conversations since we did you know since just surf right um where i first kind of really learned about that so i'm already in my 20s when i first learned about internalized oppression um Mm -hmm. and how both the good and bad could still lead you to being oppressed and i so being in my 20s and i'm training people in their 40s 50s because even Mm -hmm. my boss this is new to him right um or this language at least is new to him. I mean, just imagine like you, they can't change as quickly as I, I want them to yeah. in terms of really identifying those things. Like 
I learned about this in my early 20s and I've been working on it ever since, right? Recognizing why do I respond to things and certain people and and how do I use my language and why do I have that tone or that attitude or that response when people say this, that or the other, right? And Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like 15 years worth of work and I'm, I still have a long way to go. I'm just very, I'm just very a calm person. (laughs) But like, so like trying to teach somebody in their 40s and 50s, half their life is, is, has passed. Half of their life is learning that their internalized oppression is okay in whatever way it is. It's okay. And mm-hmm. they can survive and they can maneuver through life and they can be successful because they are in successful positions. They're making money. They have good families. They have all the things, right? So it's okay. Like, imagine if we could start having those conversations with our children now, like our, our four-year-olds, our five-year-olds, our kids who are starting school and like recognizing like, hey, first off, this story of this person, this brown person that wasn't good does not have to be your story. Yeah. Just because you see them on the street selling drugs does not mean that that is the only thing that they are capable of doing. It's just an unfortunate circumstance. That's a choice that they, they ultimately made, whether they felt like they had to or or they wanted to. Whatever the story is like that doesn't have to be your story. You don't have to internalize that as that being your only way to your own indi- individualized success. Imagine if your child read a book and brought it home and you could start conversations that way. (laughs) Right? Right? (sighs) So weird. (laughs) My my son, so my sister-in-law sent us some books for his, oh, I can't even remember. Maybe it was his birthday, maybe not. And one of them was, what is a refugee? And Mm. he's... He's five, right? And I'm just like, oh, I don't like, is this a book he needs to read? Like, is this appropriate? <laughs> what What does this even? So, you know, he loves books. So he wanted to read it. It was a new book. So we, we got to whip it out. We got to read a new book. And so mm-hmm. we, we, we read through it the first time. And, you know, it's it's a book about why there are refugees in the world, which is not like a happy topic. And... <laughs> I was like, oh, man, you know, I could hide this book. (laughs) Like, we don't have to read this book again. (laughs) This seems like a little too deep. But then it's just, you know, then we watched Encanto. And we were watching that movie and I could go, hey, you see those people and like how there's fighting and they're leaving. That's like your book. Remember your refugee book and they have to leave because it's too dangerous to stay at home and look how sad they are that they have to leave. And so it's just I've had those moments where I could hide knowledge and not expose them to different storylines like you're saying. Like you, we have the opportunity to expose our kids and other people's kids to <laughs> alternate part. Alternate stories like that their yeah. life doesn't have to follow the the one path. I know that this is like a really popular TED talk that happens all the time. What is it? The danger of one only having one narrative. Mm. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah. It's you have to you have to give them access to this other stuff so that they can learn. And I mean, if your family has strong beliefs to have a conversation about it, why should it be taboo? Mm-hmm. And I think like from like a kid's perspective, especially if, if your family does have strong beliefs, right? So mm-hmm. 
I mean, there's extremists in every religion and it's inevitable. So like I think about Christian faith and how often like I grew up with the Christian faith, right? I grew up Lutheran. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the story of Jesus Christ, right? And really that's the second the the second book basically a new testament storyline of like you're gonna love our neighbors we're gonna love our enemies we're gonna love like that's what we do right mm-hmm. and that's the story i kind of know but i know that there's the extreme version of mm-hmm. faith that says like yo they're gay that's not it that's that's in inhum- like that's that's um impure that's this that's that um and so i i think about that young person who may be gay or may not know like they just don't know but they don't mm-hmm. feel like they fall into the normative culture of heterosexuality right like mm-hmm. i'm a girl i've always been a girl um i've always liked guys but like my outward projection of my femininity is not that right and so like it's come up quite a bit my sexuality for other people they're very curious mm-hmm. and they make a lot of assumptions <laughs> right yeah and so now i gotta make these like have these conversations which i don't feel like i have to have them but like i also f- feel like i have to have them it's a weird <laughs> thing but they're like, thrust upon so, you <laughs> right they're thrust upon me and i'm like all right let's get in this and i just like i'm not gonna knock people in their faith or their hard one beliefs whatever they are Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if they're that strong on that end, like there's nothing I can say or do that's going to shift them. And that's fine. But it's how can we create a community? How can we create a space where that individual, if they don't have the home space to figure that piece out about them without ma- being made to feel less than to lose their humanity, to lose their dignity. Like if we can create that space, um, than we need to which goes back to what you were saying earlier about like you go to those conferences and like what's one thing we can do right now that would make education more inclusive more equitable more whatever and the answer is the library creating finding those stories finding those narratives that even if it's only one person in that entire building that one person has found something or someone, a character or a storyline that they can mm-hmm. connect to can be all the difference. I mean, I think about suicide rates in young mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. has skyrocketed over the last five years. Young and young boys, specifically young brown boys skyrocketing like immensely. I think about the homophobia in the brown community, the black and brown mm. community because of the the systemic and historical trauma that was experienced in those communities, right? We don't talk a lot about post-traumatic slave syndrome very often, but that's, I mean, Mm -hmm. part of that homophobia is rooted in the trauma of being a slave and what was done to our men. And so there's a lot of homophobia in, in the black and brown population. And so what we see a lot of black and brown, specifically boys who Mm. are taking their lives because they're deemed soft and that's mm-hmm. not okay in our community because we have to be strong. We have to be this. We have to be that. And so it's like, you don't. You don't have to be. Like, it's okay to be aware of your emotions. It's okay to be sensitive. In fact, there's all these incredible stories of these men who, that's exactly who they were. And think, mm-hmm. think of all the good 
that they did not necessarily for the world but for themselves and for their community Mm -hmm. or for their own home right and so finding those stories to make sure that every student every child every adult has something or someone they can connect to in terms of a story um that's uplifting or can just normalize what they're experiencing even if it's not the greatest but it it, it's not they're not alone and it can make a big difference and i think that's the part that we have to remember when i think about these stories (laughs) like again i feel like i now need to read these books from kent Mm -hmm. because i i just those words don't scare me so that's really the Mm -hmm. reason that i'm like whoo we're we're not doing very well as adults because our young people are saying much worse just listen to the music that they're listening to bro like it's bad (laughs) well Uh, and but at least they're using like relatively proper words like instead of calling it like a cucumber and then you some weird shit is happening like you know what i mean (laughs) they're using words that are actually like relatively appropriate in terms of identifying body parts (laughs) well i feel and and then like that makes me think of the debate that happens all the time about what's appropriate sexual education for our kids and what's appropriate and then you know it just the whole line that gets drawn or needs to be drawn where who gets to decide what's right and wrong right yeah because like Ugh. nobody is forcing those kids to read those books yes exactly nobody is saying you have to read those books they're just available just like a ton of libraries have the bible available it's there no one's making me like you don't have to read it if you don't want to same with the quran same with every like it's a book it's there you can access it if you want to no one's shoving it in your face um except for the people who are shoving it in your face and saying you have to live this way you have to to read this you can't read that you can't say this you can say that you're not allowed to talk about racism you're not allowed to talk about sexism you're not allowed to talk about being gay um like it's somehow like, who, like if you talk about decides? it it's gonna turn you gay it's so yeah funny. who decides who decides that they can they can tell everyone how they're supposed to live their lives and you know what i'm getting to is that the I'm saying who gets to do this. And it's really just like a very narrow population, at least in this country, that right. feels they they have the right to tell the rest of us how we live. That like mm-hmm. fringe, very conservative, Christian, usually white. I know I'm making a bunch of broad statements right now, but come on. Who We've are been a little bit exactly general today, we, but it's okay. <laughs> saying what we can, what our kids can read and what our kids can do and what they're exposed to and this feeling that they have, that they have mm-hmm. ownership of the mm-hmm. system, that this is their system and they get to control what happens in the system because of their, all those identifiers. And yeah. it's just so infuriating because the world is not white. The world is not Christian. The world is so diverse in thought and color and identification. And it's just a shame that people think that they they can't acknowledge that and live side by side. Like, why can't, how does that impact us? How does yeah. that impact another person? It doesn't. Like, what's your obsession with wanting to control people besides you're used to it and you like it and you want to keep it that way? I'm trying to snap for you. <laughs> I can hear it. Okay, good. Because I'm like, 
I can't snap with my right hand, which is weird because I'm right-handed. <laughs> so it's like weird sounding. But eggs, oh my God. I I love that you said that because like, I, jo- I, I don't joke, but like my mom is super hip with the, the social media. She, she probably mm. knows it better than I do. But, and like she... She tries so hard to 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 push the right stories and the right narrative. Like she really does care. Um, and in turn, though, like she'll read something and she'll get really like emotionally involved. Mm. And I stop and turn to her and I'm like, "Does this impact your life directly in any way, shape, or form?" And she's like, "No." And I was like, then don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are times, there are times that it does, like, there are exceptions, right? Like, being empathetic to populations that are being targeted. Like, there are times where it it very much is, like, okay to care about stuff that's going on. But other times where it's like, you don't care what that person from high school is saying about so-and-so. Come on. (laughs) Just leave it I, yeah right i don't usually care i'm like yo and you know and i again we've talked about this before we've been kind of doing this type of work for pretty much our whole adult lives and i don't know if we went into our, our adulthood thinking that that's what we were going to do but it's, it's what we've been doing oh i didn't um, know that it existed going into my adulthood i was also <laughs> exposed to it in my 20s and i was like oh crap it does it does make you look back like that hindsight looking back in the classrooms and looking back at certain things that adults said to you or whatever and you're like oh shit okay i mm-hmm. sh- i see you now i understand okay um i have had a lot of those moments even now i'm like oh that's why that teacher said yeah. that thing to me in ninth grade bitch just kidding not <laughs> kidding absolutely true uh, <laughs> you know and I, it's one thing to truly be empathetic and to understand the process and understand what people are going through. And, you know, and I, I try my humanity wants everybody else to have humanity and dignity. Like, that's just what I want. Um, and you're right. Like, it just seems like we're constantly told how to think and live and be. But as soon as we tell that that same group <laughs> who wants to, to throw down the gauntlet on everything, be like, yo, I need you to really, I need you to pause. I really need you to like wear a mask. All hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't understand. You've infringed on my rights my whole life. Like I'm asking you this thing for like 20 seconds. Like I just need you to do this thing for me for 20 seconds and not for me, for your entire community. Like just real quick. Um, and it's, it's just, it's the hypocrisy is um, wonderful. And I'm not even going to lie. I, I love hearing about banned books. It's, first off, it always makes me giggle, especially when I learn the content of the banned book or why it, mm. why it's causing so much controversy and discussion. And then my, my second immediate reaction is, oh, now I got to go buy that book if I don't already have it because um, I need it in my son's. <laughs> library because i'm i'm creating a a library for my child and so like i i found a list of uh banned books and i was looking at it and i'm like oh yep i have that one i have that one i need to get i need to get him that one i need to get him that i don't have that one so we're gonna get right it's like going through it because i remember again i love college i learned so much um it was in one of my final years i was in a fantasy class um and half of the books we read are considered uh, banned in certain states. One of them is Lord of the Rings. 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah. Okay. And then the other well, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter was banned. Yeah, Harry, Harry Potter was banned. Potter was banned. And well, so the prompt, witchcraft. so the prompt actually had to do, yeah, exactly, witchcraft, say, uh, satanic, um, things like that, right? Darkness, hell, blah blah blah. And so my professor, being a smartass, had created a prompt. Um, and we had to choose one side or the other, whether we agreed with this per- perception of Harry Potter or um, if we didn't. And of course, I I love Harry Potter. If that's a millennial thing, screw all y'all. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't care. It's it's a great it's a great series of stories. And I you know rereading them, I love it even more. I understand all the things. You and I, we talked about one of the things that I didn't know was a thing until mm. we talked about it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I learned stuff, but that does not make me dislike the story. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to prove this thing wrong. And I did like it was probably the first time I ever did any real research on writing papers because usually it was always just about the the context of the book and you just analyze the story. Um, but I pulled in articles of people saying why it was wrong and pulled in articles of these connections. And I ended up like making Harry Potter the story of Jesus Christ. And it was great. <laughs> Isn't it kind of? <laughs> it, like- it, it, it's actually really close. <laughs> it's really, you, I was going to say, have, we have the snake, we have God, we have, we have the, the death, whole, the, the whole, resurrection, all of it. And it was just, but the same people who would cancel Harry Potter will not cancel anything by C.S. Lewis. And he has the same problem. He just happens to be yeah. a Christian writer. But the the magic and the those those dark and light pieces that you can see in Harry Potter, you can see it in all of C.S. Lewis's work. And so it was just really fascinating that like, it only is bad if it's by these type of people and not by these type of people. And again, that hypocrisy shows up in what gets canceled in terms of stories. And so I just, I want to own every band book. I, I would fill a house, but I, I do. looking at the list that you sent the one the 2021 yeah yes. maybe we should let's go through it and say if we either own it or if we've read it or if we want to read it definitely let's do it okay so first one is slaughterhouse five i have not read it totally read it i feel like i read it in high school maybe as an independent read sorry 1984 yes i have read that one yes the alchemist i have not i have so it's funny to see this list so the father of my child loves this book i feel like he reads it once a year or once every other year and i've known him since i was 21 so we've known Mm -hmm. each other for a long time and he talks to me about this book more than i care to admit and i still (laughs) have not read this book (laughs) Is that like passive aggressive? Kirsten? I don't know. I'm like, I feel like I know it because he talks about it. So I was like, do I really need to read it now? But I feel like now that it's on a ban list, I definitely need to read it. So that's my funny story with that. Her Body and Other Parties. I have not read that book. 
I have not, but it sounds interesting. I've never even heard of it, and I gotta look it up. Norwegian Wood. I have never even heard of that book. No, me either. Kite Runner. I have heard of it, but not read it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've started it. I don't think I finished it. I think I read it in college. Probably. (laughs) Uh, The Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Who hasn't read Salinger? My dad told me when I read it, I read this as part of our, like, independent, one of the books we could read for independent reading in high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading it, and my dad told me I needed to read it now in high school, and then I should read it again in my 20s, which I think I forgot to do, and then I should read it again after I have kids. And so... (laughs) I need yeah. to go back and read it again with my new older perspective. So that's a, that's a good one to put on my list. Maybe we should start a book club and read the books that we haven't read or we haven't read in a long time. Yay, book club. And then we can podcast about our books. All right. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, book one. Yes. It's. I just bought a pin that like opens and it's the guide. <laughs> I love it. Why is that on here? <laughs> like, what? what is about that book that's, like, offensive? The Hitchhiker's Guide to... I don't... See, that's the thing. I haven't... I don't know why half of these books are on here. Like, we're about to read one where I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see why that's on here. It's a little it's a little sus. But, okay. So, I know why the Cage Bird sings. Definitely read it. I definitely own it. I also have the movie. It's not good, but oh. the book is great. It's sad. <laughs> yeah. It has oh, some darkness to it, but it's Maya that. Angelou, so it's it's a good story. It's good. It's one that you should at least read once. The Handmaid's Tale. I have not read this. No. I I'll be honest. I don't. It it doesn't. It's not desirable for me. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Left Hand of Darkness. No, I've, I've not heard, heard of this. It. I'm I'm starting to think that we haven't heard. She's not American, this person. Hmm. I feel like the ones that I don't know, they're clearly not American writers, which doesn't make me sound very good. Because I, <laughs> I promise I read all kinds of things. Lolita. That's a horrible book. It's a horrible story. No. It's gross. I haven't um, read it. I can see why they would probably cancel it. Um, but okay. The Glass Castle, a memoir. No. No, me either. The Fellowship of the Ring, The Lord of the Rings. Why is it just The Fellowship of the Ring? Why is it just the first Hitchhiker's Guide? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why is it not the whole series? I actually did suffer through this book. My man Tolkien, dude, writes everything. Is the longest, driest book ever. <laughs> Just watch the movies. They did so good with them. Um, I actually have zero complaints about the movie adaptations. I probably should. I'm sure a lot of people will be like, Kirsten, you're canceled for what you just said. But like, it's a much quicker watch than it is a read. It's horrible. Bra- Beartown, a novel. I don't think so. I I did read a few books when I was in a book club that I'm trying, I'm struggling to remember. No, no. It's about a junior hockey team. No, I have not read this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for looking it up. (laughs) I haven't read it. (laughs) 
The House of the Spirits. I feel like I should read this one. I have not read it. Hmm. Brave New World. Yes. Yes. Did you like it? Mm, I remember it being readable. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a one-time pow? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't remember actively hating it, but it wasn't like something I want to go back and read. Agreed. Fahrenheit four fifty one. I feel like we already talked about this book a little bit. Yes, mm-hmm. actually, my husband loved this. Loves this book too. I mean, it's a good. It's a good read. Uh, go tell it on the mountain. I mean, it's James Baldwin. He should never be banned. I'll be real honest. I think I've only read excerpts. Yeah, that's fair. I uh, I actually a couple years ago I decided I was gonna do a Baldwin read series and so I read this one along with like I think two other books but I think one of them are like short stories um but I can I can post that list on our blog at a later date but I mean it's Baldwin you should always read Baldwin oh my goodness this list is actually really long it is no let's stop after this line I think um to kill a mockingbird yeah absolutely I wish they hadn't published the the sequel. I put that in quotations to this book because uh, it ruined Atticus for me. Well, it didn't ruin. I still love To Kill a Mockingbird, but that book is hard for me. I was excited. I was excited about the sequel being released. And then I think I saw how people were reacting to it. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> don't i own it so if you ever get that desire i'll happily lend it to you but i i was very sad about it i'm looking at the bottom and i see i'm seeing the bottom like i'm just gonna list off some of the ones that i have like adventures of tom sawyer i think i've read that because it was forced heart of darkness i think we read that in high school yeah we read that in ap english i read frankenstein in middle school but it was a it was an independent read I was also a TA in the library, so oh, you can also tell that I love the carry. library. Also read that in AP English. Yes. I actually I have a quote from the things they carry in my um in one of my old journals. That was a good book. I not one that I'm like actively wanting to dive back into, but it was very like it was good. Intense. I'd read it again. Yeah. Uh The Bluest Eye. That was a good book. Toni Morrison. Invisible Man. Yeah. Great Gatsby. I, You know, that's one of those books they don't know why they keep reading. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I hated that book. <laughs> it was not good. I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, I did not like that book. Persepolis? The Story of a I Childhood? I saw the movie. That doesn't count. Then I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> how about carrie or the color purple no yo carrie is terrifying you should read carrie it's way better than the movie mm, no and the color purple <laughs> is just like heart-wrenching and i think again the movie and the musical did a wonderful job but oh like if you just want to oh, cry I'm- like half of these books are like do you want to cry Read this. <laughs> I've read Neil Gaiman books. I didn't realize he was on this list too. Wait, which one? 
Neil Gaiman. He's the author, but it's his Sandman series, I think, is on here. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have not read any of his stuff. Ooh, I like his stuff. So you're telling me to check it out? Yeah. Oh, you should read Good Omens. Good Omen? Okay. He wrote that with Terry Pratchett, but that, I love that book. And they actually did a really good movie adaptation. Okay. On Amazon. Actually, it might have been a show or a miniseries, but it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think you sold it. I think I'm going to have to check it out. I need a new book to read. We have lots. That's for me. I read a lot for my son, and I forgot that I'm an adult, and I need to read adult books sometimes. Mm. But reading to the kiddos, man, that takes up a lot of time. It does. I think that we just do that. Like, that's another mom thing, right? We just forget that we're adults, and we can focus on ourselves, too, and not just our child. (laughs) I mean, they say that. You say that. And then as soon as we do that, (laughs) we are dubbed horrible mothers. Like just the fact that we get together and we talk on the phone for about an hour to do our podcasting thing. I'm surprised somebody hasn't tried to be like, yo, where your baby's at? You know what I mean? Sleeping. (laughs) Mine's definitely not, but he's well entertained. (laughs) He's fine. They shouldn't have us all the time. Well, there's that, that quote that... They expect working mothers to work like they don't have kids and raise kids like they don't work. Um, can you can you repeat that? They expect like the society's expectation of working moms is that we work as if we don't have kids and yeah. we raise our kids like we don't have jobs. That part. Okay quote that one forever because that's exactly (laughs) how i feel all the time and let's ignore all the other things all right you probably have to leave soon because i know your baby's gonna wake up hungry so the last thing i want to say about banned books is that there's a banned books week every year this year 2022 it falls on september 18th to september 24th and i think if we're still doing this podcast which I hope we are because I have a lot of fun just goofing off Me with you too. and talking about random ish. Yes. Um, we should pick one of those days to read um, one of our favorite band books. Even if it's like just a part. I think that um, and we should pick band books that are from Washington State because that will be a real kick in the teeth to Washington. But I think they've let all their books back so september 18th to the 24th i encourage all of our listeners i know that's a little bit far off but you should all take a moment to read look it up a banned book and read it even if it's like did you know winnie the pooh is banned or was banned in idaho for a little while i don't think it still is but like that just like just thinking about that (sighs) Anyways, so that's my my final my final thing. September eighteenth, twenty fourth, going ham on Bam Books. Wait, why wait? Do it now. I mean, why wait? Rebel, <laughs> rebel. I'm gonna look up Washington State banned books over the years, and I want to add that to the blog as well. Okay, I so see one know. on here that my dad loved reading to me. The stupid step out. <laughs> It's a kid's book, isn't it? 
My dad loved reading that book to me, and I'm so sad that it's on this list. I'm telling you, these, I'm, t- Some of the books that get banned <laughs> anywhere is a hot, dirty mess, but I love it. I love it. Because it makes you, I really want to know what people were thinking at that time. Like, it, I think it gives you a sense of, like, what culturally we were going through. That they were like, oh, this can't, this won't work oh anymore. Oh, my goodness. So funny. I'm going to find some good lists. It sounds like you found some good lists. So we'll we'll post <laughs> we'll post the ones that we're going to have to just take a moment. Remind us to come back to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got today. Band books rock. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was recorded on Muckleshoot, Duwamish, Stillaguamish, and Coast Salish land. Visit our website at mkletstalk.com to find information all about banned books. Find us on social media at mkletstalk. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And your fact for today is that the most frequently banned book in America is 1984 by George Orwell.